Hello and welcome to the Two Shelves of Gaming podcast. The podcast dedicated to role-playing games, war games and adventure board games. And I am your host, Tom. So let's buckle in, strap in, whatever, hit the accelerator and go for another unscripted stream of conscience podcast about my love of games, my hobby of games, etc. Okay, so following on from my little video of a uh, couple of weeks ago, I thought I would, you know, strike while the, while the iron was hot and, you know, get some more content going because without laboring the point, I had a horrendous gap in activity last year. Maybe, oh gosh, six, seven months when I, when I look back, which is unacceptable. Really, really long time of nothing. And uh, I didn't want to be one of these podcasts, these many, many podcasts that just kind of disappear down the hole. You know, they start with much enthusiasm and then they just vanish. I did not want to be that. And even though I don't have a huge amount of listeners, and I do cherish the ones I have, even though I don't have a massive amount of listeners, I'm not an influencer, I don't get sent free products, you know, this is a very basic podcast, can you tell? Uh, even though I don't have the same profile of others, you know, I just kind of, I'm just going to keep doing it and uh, talk about my games, because that's one of, the reasons I, one of the reasons I started this podcast. I've got a massive collection of games and they, they don't get played as much as I would like them to for lots and lots of reasons. One of the current reasons I don't play them is I, I don't have the space and that really, really sucks. And it's a point I've made in the, in the past few months because for those of you who regularly listen to this podcast, and thank you if you do, I used to live in a house and now I live in an, now I live in an apartment. And the reason is we relocated from the Netherlands to Switzerland. In the Netherlands, we had, or we have, we still have a house which we're renting out, but that, that's neither here nor there. And when we moved to Switzerland, we moved to an apartment because that's just how it is over here. And needless to say, an apartment is smaller than a house, or rather this apartment is smaller than our old, our old house. In our old house, I had a man cave, which was basically given over almost completely to my games and my painting of miniatures. I had a war game table set up. I had a paint station. I had like a, a shelf full of my gaming books, which I would just kind of pull off the shelf every so often and, uh, and read. In fact, the whole reason this podcast is called Two Shelves of Gaming is because my, my games were mostly kept on two very large shelves. Anyway, fast forward to the current situation. The majority of my gaming collection is in a storage unit in the Netherlands. So I can't just kind of go there on a regular basis and peruse my, my much beloved items. We had to leave most of our belongings in storage, including my games, because there's, just, there's no point bringing a huge houseload of stuff to a small apartment. Uh, and while I do have some games here, they're kind of some of them are in a small corner of a bookshelf, which I'm looking at now, and some of them are somewhere else. And uh, while that's enough to sustain me from a purely playing games perspective or, you know, painting perspective, because I have miniatures, I have paints with me here, there's nowhere I can leave them set up. It just does not exist here, which, which has severely impacted my game playing. And uh, I guess the knock-on effect has been my ability or motivation or inertia to, to talk about games because yeah I, I can't leave anything set up if I leave a game set up it will be knocked over covered in food by the end of the day likewise with paints miniatures so I, I 
I can't do it as much as I want to. I mean, the way, the way, the way I worked around this last time was to paint on my balcony, which has a lot of, which is a kind of a free space for me. It's, the lighting is good, you know, I can leave things set up, but you know, it's, it, it's outside, which means it's very, very cold. I'm having a, a walk through the, uh, the corridor of our apartment. This is an action-packed podcast with an ambient changing soundscape. Okay, let me switch on the light. That was me switching on the light. And let me go into my very small, or our very small storeroom. And just kind of picking up what I was saying a few moments ago, I, I did kind of want to make this storeroom I wanted to commandeer it as my kind of hobby room, but it's just too small. I mean, we've got shelves in here now. Yeah, it's it's tiny. I, I couldn't see myself working in here without getting an acute attack of claustrophobia, let alone, actually, you know, I, I've barely got the elbow space. I'm kind of standing in the middle of it now with my elbows out and they just, they're just scraping the shelves that are on either side of the walls. So yeah, woe is me, woe is me guys. Anyway, I'm pulling a folder or a, a file holder off the shelf for today's subject. Now, today's subject is my first love in a way when it comes to games, which is Dungeons and Dragons. You never forget your first love. But um, before we get into all that, this is a, I'm not sure how you would call it. This is a cereal magazine, not cereal as in the thing you have in the morning with milk. But as, whoops, gosh, it just fell on the floor. Luckily, it's uh, not delicate. Okay. This is, how would you describe this? A serial hobby magazine? It's quite possible this exists in other countries around the place, but I've only ever seen it in the UK and it's quite an old idea. I remember first seeing it in the 1970s when I was a kid. Yes, I am that old. And the best way I can describe it is, they usually start, they usually, they usually come out early in the new year. So just after Christmas, you'll see these adverts appear on the TV. A magazine which is being introduced at a very cheap price as an introduction into some kind of hobby or some kind of craft or some kind of uh, leisure, leisure pursuit. So for example, ones I have seen in the past were build your own wooden warship. Not life-size, but build a model of the HMS Victory, which for those of you who don't know, is a very famous warship from the Royal Navy in the 1700s, 1800s, and is still, still in existence today. So it would say, build your own HMS Victory. Issue one comes with what you need to get started, which might just be like a, a small piece of wood. And then they, and the price of it is, is pennies. So you think, oh cool, this is great. I'll build my own HMS Victory model. Or, I'll build my own aircraft model if, it, if it's about an aircraft, whatever. Trouble is, the subsequent issues then start to get very, very expensive. So, you know, you're, you're paying a ridiculous price every subsequent issue for a tiny piece of wood. And even as a kid, I realized, this is crazy. I could just go to the model store and buy an actual plastic kit of that, of that ship or that airplane or, or whatever it was in the example of model crafts. I could just go to a model store and buy that for a fraction of the price instead of having to buy an issue every single month over the course of a year or whatever it was. And, you know, and if you did do that, if you were one of those, the people who did do that, you would be paying an, an eye-watering amount to build a model which you could 
get cheaper and of better quality elsewhere. And now that I come to think of it, I don't think I ever saw these models remain on my local newsagent shelves for more than a couple of months. They would just kind of disappear. And it's probably because the business model was, was flawed, i.e. you paid a lot of money to get something you, uh, you could get cheaper elsewhere. With that introduction to serial magazines given, another rambling introduction, um, very interestingly, last year, there was one dedicated to the Dungeons and Dragons game, which was quite, which was quite interesting. I think a lot of people who were into D&D, into role-playing games, even though they might have had the game anyway, they went, oh, wow, our hobby, our game is getting the, uh, the kind of high publicity treatment. It's going to be in every news agent. It's going to be stocked on supermarket shelves. You know, let's get in on the action, which was very great. And um, again, I'm going to just go on a tangent. This is an unscripted podcast. The last time this happened in a kind of uh, tabletop gaming context was around 21 or 22 years ago when the excellent Middle Earth strategy battle game magazine, I can't remember its exact name, when that came out, that was a very high quality product. It was, of course, a kind of magazine version of the rules for the Middle Earth uh, strategy battle game by Games Workshop in collaboration with Peter Jackson's films, etc, etc. And it gave you the rules, it gave you some miniatures, and uh, I, I don't think the price got that crazy. I don't think the price got that crazy. And I, I got the first two or three issues, and you know, that was enough for a very good introduction into the Middle Earth strategy battle game, or whatever it's called. Apology, apologies if I'm getting that name wrong. And it was very good because you got a solid, good collection of minis, you know, your evil side. You had a solid collection of rules which would do you for as much as you wanted to play the game. And you had a, a good collection of miniatures. I mean, from the issues I, I purchased, I got maybe a dozen goblins, maybe the same amount of uh, Gondor warriors. Can't remember if I got any Riders of Rohan, but... Uh, you got a lot of stuff, and I think in, in one of the earlier episodes or issues, you even got a, a metal figure of, um, of Strider, which was really, really good. And it didn't break the bank, and it was a really, really good product. You know, you, like I say, you could just use that and, and play with that, but I'm sure the idea was to encourage you to buy the wider game. But in itself, that was quite a contained little package of magazines. So, this now brings me to Dungeons and Dragons, or rather, it's, uh, it's working or it's presentation as a, uh, a magazine where each episode, or sorry, I keep saying episode, where every issue, you get a, a, some of the rules, you get some of the characters, you get examples of spells, you get a couple of adventures. And this is, this is very interesting because I just found it a little bit surprising, in a good way, that Dungeons & Dragons had this treatment. But also, and this is one of my long-standing gripes with D&D, did they once more, you know, did, did the wider D&D production machinery once more kind of miss a trick to truly introduce new players to the game by giving them a self-contained 
package within a few magazines. And by that, what I'm saying is, I always, I wouldn't say I find it stunning. I always find it a tall order. If, if you've never played a tabletop game before, if you've never played a tabletop role-playing game, and you want to get into it, maybe you're seeing things on Stranger Things and you're wondering, hey, what's this D&D? You know, because it, they are entering the kind of pop culture big time now. If you want to enter it, and then you walk into the hobby store or the bookstore and you see the core rules, that, that would really put many people off, and I'm sure it does. They see this massive book that looks like a, a few issues of the Encyclopedia Britannica, and they go, oh, man, I'm not doing that. Because A, it's a lot to read, and B, it's, it's, it's expensive. You know, you, okay, technically you don't have to read every single word in the books to play the game, but, uh, you know, it's a tall order. And yes, you have got the starter sets or the essential sets, which kind of offset that somewhat. But I, I always think if you're going on a journey as extensive as becoming a table, a, a role-playing game, tabletop role-playing game player, shouldn't you really be given the tools in one neat little package? Okay, like I've just said, possibly the essentials and the starter kit does do that, the box sets, and they're very nice packages. I've, I've got one myself. But could, could not we have done this with the magazines? And, you know, I, I get the magazines. The idea is to sell lots and lots of them. You know, maybe it in itself is, is a business strand of the wider D&D universe. Although I've no idea how the, uh, the business connections work because this is a product of hatchetworks.com slash D&D adventurer. And I can see Wizards of the Coast on the back. Official licensed project, or product, I should say. So whether, whether Hatchet have approached Wizards or vice versa or something in the middle, I'm not entirely sure. So I have issues one and issues two, which were very kindly sent over to me by a pal in the UK. Now let me try and see what you get with them. Well, the first thing you get with them, and this is what I think attracted a lot of people to these products is you get free dice hear that that's the dice shaking that's the dice from issue two which comes in a plain plastic uh, packet and they are sort of uh, oh, <laughs> I'm gonna call them urine color they're kind of urine color but I believe I believe they were packaged as gold I'll confirm that later and the in issue one I'm doing this in reverse order there's, that is the sound of a tin. I will now open the tin. And in the tin, it's a very small tin. It kind of looks like an old <laughs> tobacco tin, if any of you are familiar with that reference. Uh, it's silver. On the, on the lid, it says D&D Adventurer in the D&D logo in black. Very nice. And inside, it's got foam. And it's got holes inside the foam where six polyhedral dice Oh no, sorry, seven, I'm sorry, seven polyhedral dice are nestled comfortably. And there are seven polyhedral dice because you get two percentiles, one with just the units and one with the tens, which is really nice. Because when I was a lad, I remember when you just got the, the units and you had to roll it twice. Oh, it was harder in my day. And uh, I'm just looking at the, uh, the, ur the urine colored dice. It's the same for them. So that's a big draw. I mean, I think a lot of people were just buying it for that because issue one is only one ninety nine and pounds that is UK pounds. What's that in US dollars? About two fifty, maybe two, but around the same ish euros. I'm not sure where, where, what, how, how much it might be, but the point is, I, I, I doubt you could find 
that many dice of that quality for that, that cheapness. Or I'll reword that in a more comprehensible way. I don't think you could find a set of dice that cheap in, in a hobby store. So a lot of people were just buying it for the dice and then the, the, they were getting the, uh, the books as an added extra. Okay, so what else do we get? Let's pull out the entire treasure of goodies. Okay, anything else in there? No. Okay, so you get a little booklet with issue one. Let me just see this. They're all kind of jumbled up, so I can't tell which. Oh, there we go. Yeah, issue one. You get, yes, you do get a little booklet, but you also get a larger booklet. Dungeons and Dragons Adventure, learn, play, explore. Okay, new and exclusive adventure. Play tips, learn the lore, become a dungeon master. Combat rules explained, and it's got a very dramatic picture of some adventurers attack, being attacked or fending off some skeletons. You know, it's all happening here, guys. It's all happening. And on the back is a picture of a rat with its brain exposed. So we'll, we'll, we'll come to that later. So it gives an intro to the game. You know, it tells you the history of the game, where it comes from. And then it kind of jumps. There's, there's lots of kind of inserts and photos. And then, it, it, you know, it, the page turns and we see some very, some very healthy looking college aged people, shall we say, playing a game in D&D, having fun. And what's not to be liked about that? Although be careful with the, uh, the drinks, guys. You might, you might tip it on the, on the start, on the, on the books and also be careful with the potato chips because you know greasy fingers okay and it, it kind of leads you through what you're supposed to do dungeon master introduces the dice now i'm going to just instead of going through in granular detail it kind of skips to the player characters somewhat and the first thing i noticed with the player characters is they don't call them, you haven't, got a you haven't got a character race anymore. You've got a character species. And I'm not sure if that's the same in the, the latest iteration of D&D, but uh, in this magazine, they are called species. And I'm just wondering if, if it's because race has become such a loaded word of late for some people. If it has, fair enough. But anyway, it, it has changed. And you have four sample characters and you have counterpart character sheets for these characters. First one is called Krantor Thranax, who is a human rogue. Irina Iloris, a wood elf fighter. Rizagar Stormhelm, a hill dwarf cleric. And Merovich Farfoot, a lightfoot halfling wizard. So, so okay. So this is familiar, but a little bit different in a way, because when I first encountered D&D you just had character races okay races whereas here you've got races plus class so you know fair enough so that it's, it's kind of like how I remember a D&D when I first encountered that you know your 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 race did not define your class although what I never liked about a D&D was the ridiculous multi multi-class characters you know you just had ridiculous combinations purely there to be you know, power gaming fodder, just to smite your enemies, you know, kind of took away from role-playing somewhat. Okay, exp explains the the um, abilities, what the modifiers are. Okay, and, it, and then it goes into um, an explanation an explanation of the, uh, the, the species, the species it has highlighted. And I'm just looking at the illustration for species, and I can see a, an Easter egg, I think, it, I think you would call it. 
there's a picture of what appears to be a, uh, a wizard and he looks very much like the wizard pictured on the reworking of the AD&D player's handbook. When they reworked the, the front cover, there was a picture of a wizard weaving a spell and it kind of looks like him. He's got a kind of hood, but the hood is kind of rigid, kind of like half of an eggshell is the best way I can describe it. Anyway, so it tells you about what the game is, it tells you about the, uh, the, char the ability scores, the species, and then the character classes. Okay, and they're quite concise, I have to say. There's about two pages or two sides on each one. And then we go into, you know, equipment. So it's kind of racing through, but nicely so, you know, the, uh, the equipment. And it very nicely packages your equipment into a kind of uh, package. It packages a package. It pre-selects what you need. There's, there's the burglar's pack, the scholar's pack, the explorer's pack, and the priest's pack. Although if I can, if I can pick a, a fault with this, maybe it should have just said rogue's pack, cleric's pack, wizard's pack, etc. It kind of gives them slightly different names. But anyway, if you're one of those character classes, this is what you need which is handy. And then it goes to the setting, which is Fandalin, which is a place I first heard about when I bought the, uh, when I bought the, the starter, the starter set way back, God, 10 years ago. My gosh, my life is whizzing before me. Well, <laughs> as my, as the tagline for this podcast channel says, you know, I look back up on my life and it is a river overflowing with games. So anyway, Fandalin, it introduces the town of Fandalin which is a great starting point for the town. And, you know, the adventurers, for whatever reasons, are in this town. And, and it says, you know, it, it, it's a starting point for your first adventure. Now, I'm just trying to see if it tells you how the adventurers turned up here. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, no, it, it leaves that to the players. You may want to decide why you're there in the first place. And whilst there, of course, as always happens in a, in a fantasy town, maybe you're in the inn, or maybe you're swaggering through town one day and someone runs up to you and says, help, help, uh, which introduces you to the encounter or the adventure, and it's called King Under the Hill. It's not even a dungeon adventure. It's, a, it's an adventure within a building in the town. You have to, uh, let's just say, solve a problem that involves some kind of monster. And I kind of gave the, uh, gave the, uh, the game away. It's a monster that is called a cranium rat, which is quite a spooky picture. It's a picture of a very, of a glowing eyed, fat rat with its head with its brain exposed hence the cranium rat so you've got to kind of get rid of these folks okay and i'm not sure how it says you i am slightly plot spoiling here but all you've got to do is clear out the uh, the location so there we have it a very very neat little intro although to accompany that sort of a4 size magazine you do have introduction to combat so it's interesting, or it's a little bit curious why they're not together, why the, why the combat introduction is not part of the magazine. Yeah, what's going on there? But, you know, it, it, again, it goes through the basics pretty, pretty succinctly. You know, it's only an eight-page guide. Determine surprise, establish positions, initiative, take turns, you know, hit points, damage rolls, instant death all that stuff. Okay. And of course, it's not like the olden days where you had these um, combat tables and you had to determine what your level was and your, and the, your opponent's armor class was. No, you're, you're just rolling, you're just rolling, rolling against armor class now with, uh, with any modifiers. So there you have a package, a very sweet package. Now it's been a, it's been a while since I got these, so I can't remember 
if this very large map that I have here, it's a detail of the, is it the Sword Coast? It's a huge map, I mean, yeah, it's, it's big. It's maybe like two or two and a half A3, A3. It's about the size of two and a half A3 sheets. And it shows Neverwinter Wood, it shows Fandalin, it shows a couple of spots where you are gonna have adventures in the next issue or issues. And it is quite frameable. The back is plain bright red. And in fact, when I first saw this, I did say this would make a good kind of solo. You could maybe track, if, you, if, you, if you're forced to do a solo game for whatever reason of D&D, as, as I kind of sometimes am, because I'm on my lonesome, woe is me. You know, it, it's a great way to, it's, it's a good thing to just stick on the table and you can uh, track the progress of your solo adventures or even, or even if you're not playing solo, it, it's, it's a great reference. Okay, let's come to issue two. And already the price has gone up from $1.99 to $4.99. So, whoa, okay, it's gone up over 250%, as the economists say. Now, this is about spell casting, and it focuses on a, a character class, how to play a rogue. So, in, so, while, so whereas in issue one, it introduced what the character classes were and gives you, or some of them, and gives you a, a brief description. It tells you how to play them. So spell casting is explained. Spell slots, the use of spells. But where are the spells? Okay. Hmm. It might be, ah yes, the spells are contained within the um, the character sheet, or I'm assuming they are. Yes, they are, and there's quite a few. And again, you know, you by not by not giving a fuller list of spells in the rules, by only including it on the character sheet, they're kind of tying your hands into wanting to buy more or wanting to expand the game. Which you know, I understand. I understand. They want you to buy more of the magazine, but I guess the the pure hobbyist, the kind of casual gamer. It would have been nice to have the spells, or at least some of the spells, in issue two. It's entirely possible, possible that subsequent issues do have the spells, but the last time I saw this magazine, I was in the UK in November, I think it was going for close to nine pounds, which is like 13, 14 US dollars, 15, 16 euros. Yeah, nah, I don't think it's gonna be worth it for that. Okay, so the rogue, let's have a look at the rogue. The explain, explaining how to play a rogue. There are those whose abilities lie not with martial weaponry or magic, but with quiet motion, dexterous action, and stealth. Whether a thief in the shadows or a diplomat in the spotlight, rogues combine agility, composure, charm, and deadly strikes to achieve their goals. And the picture you have is of quite, it's quite a dark one. It almost looks like a, a, a dark elf or a drow. Someone who's dressed completely in black leather with two with two knives, which is interesting because, you know, traditionally the, the image of a, of, a, of a thief in D&D could sometimes be some thigh-slapping, charming person who's essentially good, but this is quite a dark picture. Someone who's obviously not up to any good. Talks about assassins, steal. It, it's, quite, it's, quite a nice, it's quite a moody introduction. Okay, well, that's it. Is that, all, is that all they talk about? Yeah, well... Gives a little bit of an introduction about what they do, where you can find them. This is more flavor, flavor text to me. This is uh, how you would go about playing a rogue, which is good because again, it gives you some, some guidance. It, it slow releases what you need to know. Because once again, you know, from my experiences of playing D&D &D for a very long time, you weren't always given a lot to go on. 
you know, it's always good when things are explained, if even a little bit, because, you know, it fleshes out the game a bit more. Ah, okay, hold on. On the next page, it says, Rogue Features First Level. Use a rogue sneak attack to deal massive damage. And it's got a picture of what, again, looks like a drow about to knife someone in the back. The sneaky bugger. Okay, tell us what you need to do. Sneak attack damage. Okay, the amount of extra damage the rogue deals when they hit with a sneak attack increases as they gain levels. So if you're first to second, you get an extra 1d6, and you third to fourth, 2d6. So yeah, you can do a lot of damage. Okay, then it tells you about rogue weapons. In order to use the sneak attack, a rogue must use a finesse or ranged weapon to attack. So basically, same, pretty much same as Traditional D&D, inverted commas, no, no broadswords, no really heavy weapons, no double-handed stuff apart from the, uh, the uh, crossbow. Yeah, even hand and heavy crossbow. So, you know, traditional stuff. And then it goes into the Forgotten Realms. Gives you a bit of an intro, a little intro about what's there before it introduces the next adventure, which is the Forgotten Vault, which is an adventure that does not take place in Fandalin if that's how I'm pronouncing it, but takes place somewhere else. The adventurers uh, learn of, learn of a, a location of some uh, mystical treasure, and they have to go off to find it. So they have to travel. Although, not much is uh, given in terms of how you're going to, uh, what you're going to encounter. You have to travel somewhere, and here's what it says. The ruined place, I'm not going to say what it is, because I don't want to plot spoil yet again. The ruined place is in the depths of the Neverwinter Woods. The characters can travel, travel roughly 24 miles a day, so they must camp overnight in the forest before continuing their trek on the following day. It is cool and quiet under the tree canopy, and the forest floor is draped with a carpet of dead leaves. So uh, that would have been a nice place to maybe sprinkle in an encounter, because again, one of the things I found challenging as a young player was that, that transition from basic to expert, or more specifically from dungeon adventures to the great outdoors. You know, it needn't be so anticipating, but I think, you know, when you're in a dungeon, you're, you've got the, the plan where you, can, where you can walk. You know, you, you go up the corridor, you turn left, you go through a door, whatever. I think uh, I always found the prospect of having the whole wide open wilderness a little bit um, daunting to DM, not to play, because as a player, you don't know what's been planned or what hasn't been planned. But uh, it just would have been nice to say, you know, tell the players to walk north and then maybe roll for an encounter on the first night. If you roll a one to four on a d6, nothing happens. If you roll a five to six, maybe a goblin jumps out of the wood, you know. And it uh, introduces a couple of new monsters. And again, that's an important point. I've just, I've just put it down now, the magazine. Monsters. It only gives you descriptions for three or four monsters, I think, in those two magazines. So once again, you're, you're getting tantalizing glimpses of the wider D&D game. And, and once again, I don't know what subsequent issues of the magazine reveal in terms of monsters or in terms of other rules or other classes. But um, I, get, I, I, I guess as someone who's quasi-evangelical about the game, role-playing in general, it would have been nice if they could have given you a bit more in terms of things to help you play the game. You're just... <laughs> You're kind of given, a, imagine getting the D&D core rulebook and half the pages are redacted or every other sentence is, is blanked out. You'll only, you'll only get a rough idea of how, how the game works or what, what to expect. So I think not having monsters in those two magazines, you know, even a small selection, say 10 monsters per issue, that, that, that would be so much to charge up, hopefully, the imagination of the new player. 
So, I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of tearing this to shreds a little bit and, and, and I don't want to, but as I'm going through it, I'm seeing the things they could have done. You know, they could have, they could have done so much more. Is this a wasted opportunity? Or am I processing this in completely the wrong way? Is this just another one of those serialized hobby magazines that is put out there and then disappears after issue four or five? I don't know. I'm going to be back in the UK in a couple and couple of months, so I'll, I'll I'll have a look for it. I'll go scouring the newsagents of Edinburgh because that's where I'll be staying and saying, "Have you got any Dungeons and Dragons adventure, mate?" You know what you're talking about, pal? No idea. So we'll see where that goes. So yeah, that was today's shooting from the hip stream of conscience podcast about the Dungeons and Dragons adventure magazine. And you know, I I like all things D and D. It's the first role-playing game I ever encountered, and I, I always go back to it. So when I knew these were coming out, you know, I kind of saw the advert and went, oh, I gotta have it, you know, take my money. Like that meme from uh, Futurama, take my money. I gotta have it. But you know, it, it, it's got some things, you could, you could have a game, you, you could play the two adventures with the character classes given from those first two issues, fine. But then you would kind of come to a hard end, as they say, that would be it. You would hit a wall because you wouldn't have all the knowledge you need to play another game. You know, let's say, you're, let's say you rapidly consume these magazines, issues one and two, you play the adventures and you're hungry for more. You would have to wait until magazine three or issue three, which costs God knows what, before you could progress or thought before you could play anymore, which is a real shame, you know? You haven't got kind of uh, a few extra monsters or a few extra details to keep you going. You know, there's a lot of, you know, I, I know, you know, so, some role-playing games, they, you can get free downloads, you know, they give you like a couple of pages of A4 and you can get going from that. While this is much more than, you know, three or four sides of A4 and while it does give you some, you know, details about how to play the game, it's, um, I think it's Mr. Trick, as I like to say. It could have given the players a parcel of knowledge that they could have uh, been up and running their own games, you know, without the need to wait for other adventures or rather other, other issues. But again, if that was the case, then that, that's not such a great business model. You know, no one would buy the magazine. Although given the fact that the price seems to increase exponentially, that's probably gonna happen anyway. This brings me to the end of this podcast about the Dungeons and Dragons Adventure magazine. Hopefully my random rambling description of these two issues and the general concept has been carried clearly. Uh, if not, I do apologize, but um, it, is, it is now part of my collection. You know, despite the faults I may find with it, you can do some stuff with it. You could play a game with some mates, why not? But you couldn't go further based on issues one or two themselves. But anyway, I will, say farewell thank you very much for listening to the two shelves of games podcast this has been tom your host talking and i look forward to talking to you next time on whatever item i pull off my shelf take it easy <laughs>